So on a, on a, um, I just want to say just how much Jesus has changed my life. And I just, I, I'm here talking about the Bible, but it's, I read the Bible because I love Jesus. And I, I'm hoping that, you know, you, you love Jesus more than you love other things in life. And um, we're going to look today about the Syrophoenician woman, who is a fascinating story, actually, a very short story. But before I d- delve into that, I want to ask you, have you ever been an outsider? Because the reason I'm wearing this top is because I'm an insider now. I'm part of it. I'm married a South African, but I was an outsider for a long time. Uh, home affairs made sure I felt like an outsider, very much. Every three years, I had to have a new chest x-ray to prove that I hadn't brought TB into the country. I had to have a doctor's appointment. I had to queue and join this. And then one year, home affairs lost my application. And you can't leave the country... They've got this, this law. So the law says, while your application is in process, you can't leave the country. And that's, it's a reasonable law if Home Affairs does it in three months. Two years was ticking, and I couldn't leave the country because my, my visa is in process. And we booked a, a trip to see my parents, and I remember sitting at the airport, waving goodbye to the family. The flight I was meant to be on, Michelle and our two kids went to see my parents, and I couldn't leave the country. So I know what it's like to be an outsider, um, but, you know, Jesus loves the outsider as well as the insider, whoever you are. The, the Rugby World Cup in 2019 was when it really switched for me because, you know, I'm born in England. I speak English. England's my home country. I've supported England football team, England rugby team my whole life. And then the 2019 World Cup, I was sitting on the couch with my South African wife, my South African children. They were cheering for the box as they were destroying the English. I think this, this is, it's not taken from that, but it's a, a definite sort of situation. You've got British Airways in the top, you've got England rugby in the bottom, and then a, a Springbok sort of landing a try. It just shows the domination that's happening. And I thought, I'm not being an outsider anymore. This World Cup, I'm putting nearly my colors to the mask. I went on Facebook, I told all my English friends, they called me a sellout. They said, what are you doing? How dare you? I don't care, because I'm with you guys tonight. <laughs> But in all seriousness, maybe this weekend you're feeling a bit of an outsider. I don't know how, what, what's your connection to the church, how long you've been part of this community. It takes a while to get into a community. Someone said that um, a church should be like a peach, juicy and inviting, and it's rock solid on the center. But most of the time, a church is like a pineapple. It's really hard on the outside, and the good stuff's inside, but you just can't get past it. And, uh, and my prayer for you is that... Wherever you're, whatever stage you're at in this church, I pray that this becomes a really deep community, a deep family for you, in this, in this, a spiritual family, and that you feel part of this, because Jesus has come to bring outsiders and make them insiders. I want to ask you this evening, what are you asking Jesus for? Tonight was a story of a, an outsider who comes to Jesus asking something, desperately wanting something from him. And Jesus pushed back a little bit, but then granted her request, and Jesus hasn't changed. He's still granting requests. But what are you asking from Jesus? What do you need from Jesus? Maybe let that question ponder as you as we read this passage together. It's Mark chapter 7, 24 to 29. There's a parallel passage in Matthew 15 as well. I'm just going to use the Mark one. But it's quite short, so I'll just read it myself. I won't, I won't need um, Dave and Talia. And so from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. You ever done that? You're just tired and want to escape? Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him 
and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said, let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. At which point she got up in anger and left and said, how dare he? No. She answered him, yes, Lord. Yeah, but even the dogs on the table get to eat the children's morsels, the crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying in bed, the demon gone. We grew up in the Anglican Church, and we'd end off by saying, thanks be to God. It's the word of the Lord. The, the shocking thing about this is that, for us modern readers, is that Jesus calls a woman a dog. We don't do that do anymore. We don't go around calling women dogs. I mean, I don't know if you do. I, I, I try not to myself, but rappers seem to get away with it, don't they? You know, but no one else. But, but that's not the most shocking thing to Jesus' audience. Because to Jesus ordered something more shocking. But let's just talk about the dog's statement. She doesn't get offended. She doesn't walk off. Amazingly, she takes it on. It's okay, I can, I can work with you on this one. And she uses Jesus' argument to get the request she wants. She pushes back from Jesus. It's incredible. So we'll go into the dog bit a bit later, but I want to look at the, the most shocking thing for this is Mark's audience are going, what's going on? A Jewish rabbi, Jesus is, is helping out a Canaanite woman get her son, or daughter actually, daughter get clean from a demon. What's going on? Well, of course the, de- the Gentiles have demons. They worship demons. If you're going to worship a demon, you, an idol, you're going to get contaminated by an idol. So what's Jesus doing about this? He's, he's, Jews aren't meant to go into the Gentile territory. They're not even meant to be in a Gentile house. If you remember, it, it, Peter couldn't go to Cornelius' house initially, and he had to have a dream from the Holy Spirit or a vision just to go because he was told from a young kid, you can't go to a Gentile's house because you'll get contaminated. And here's a Jewish rabbi who's, who, who was allowing this woman to come into his presence, and she's got a demon-infested daughter, and he's, just, he's okay with that, and he's sorting it out. It's stated in the Torah, Deuteronomy 32, 16 to 17, this is Moses' song. It says, They provoked him to jealousy, talking about God, with foreign gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. So it's normal that if people are sacrificing to demons in idolatry, surely there's going to be some spill on effect and get contaminated. What's he got to do with Jesus? Just sort your, sort your life out. The, the Jews listening would have loved Jesus' picture, that they're the children eating at the table, getting the bread, probably pizza in our day. And then the picture is throwing a little bit of crumbs to the little the house pets, the dogs at the table. These weren't guard dogs. These were, the Greek used a diminutive. It's a little doggy. Even the little doggies get the crumbs. They would have loved all that. But then they would like, hang on a minute. No, no, we, we can't contaminate ourselves. You know, it's, it's generous to give a little crumbs, but aren't we going to get contaminated by this? You know, we don't want these Gentiles coming to our house, bringing their demons with them. What are we meant to make of all this today? I mean, should we refer to our unbelieving friends as animals, you know? You can come to church, but you have to sit with the dogs. You've got the, got the children's place and the dogs over there. You, you're an outsider. When you become a believer, I once went to a church where that was the case. There were a brethren church in St. Andrews. I was at university there. 
and they had a believer's service, and you had to be vetted at the door before you got in. And so I'd wasn't, I didn't go to the believer's service because I wasn't allowed. You had to have a letter of recommendation from your other brethren in church to go. So I just went to the Thursday night meeting, which was the evangelistic service. So they were like asking me how I got saved and what am I really saved and what was the date that I got saved and do you know about salvation? And I'm like, wow, sure. So there's still churches today that do this, that sort of, but I don't think Jesus is saying that at all, is he? He's not saying we refer to our non-believers as animals and give them a few crumbs, but we really pray for the believers. Here's a few prayer crumbs. He's not saying that at all. But what is he saying? Because we've got to understand this passage. One of the problems is we're separated by two millennia of culture. Between today and back then, there's just so much stuff happened. We don't go around complaining of our children manifesting with demons unless you're at children's church and sometimes they they feel like they've got demons, you know. Some free school teachers may know more about this than we realize. But, you know, it's interesting. If you travel in Africa... The demonic realm is very normal. I spent three years, no, three months, not three years. I was doing medicine. You do a three-month elective anywhere in the world. And I went to the University of Accra in Ghana. Stayed there for three months. Went on uh, taxis. Didn't have a car. So those brightly colored taxis. Oops. Sorry, Dave. Um, That's red red, which is my favorite dish where they... They take fish and beans and plantains and they fry them and it's just, it's incredible. I had an amazing time. But in, in Ghana, I was at med school, at med school, chatting to another med student and said, hey, what do you think about psychiatry, the spiritual realm and all that? They said, you know, do you believe in demons? I said, well, everyone in Ghana believes in demons. We grow up knowing about the spiritual realm. It's not a question about if there's demons or not. Everyone. The eighth, there's no atheist in, in Ghana. You're either Christian or you're traditional African religion. So, in med school, we're just like, no, it's, it's, of course, it's demons. That's not where I, the med school I went to. But in Ghana, it's there, and I, and I spent three months there. And, and interestingly, the place we stayed was the place where the center around all the witchcraft. And the, the month I was there, that the annual cleansing ceremony, where they took the oldest son of each household in traditional African religion. They had to sweep out the house, all the dust. They put it into a basket. The oldest son put the basket on his head. And then he absorbs the evil spirits temporarily while he walks through procession, through the town, through carnival. And they go to the local dump. They dump the basket with the dust. And the idea is that the demon spirits just go with the basket. But, it, but while that's happening, they're sort of like all, their eyes are rolled back and they're all sort of manifesting stuff. And um, I was just watching all this and thinking, oh, it's a bit weird. Um, and then one of them, they're led by hand because they're like in this trance state. So the guy leading him said, hey, the demon wants to speak to you. I said, no, thanks. <laughs> Not really interested, thanks. I'm just, just observing, thanks. I don't want to deal with that. Um, on another occasion, we went to this, um, you know, Advance is part of a, a, a bigger group of churches called New Frontiers. It was a New Frontiers church, the best New Frontiers church I've ever been to because it was in a mud hut, in a mud hut village, in the, in, behind a mountain and to, even to get to high school they had to like go over this huge mountain and down the other side because it was just no electricity typical the, the, the picture postcard you see of Africa and there was a New Frontiers church in the biggest mud hut and um, we were doing preaching at that time and it was really cool but then I got asked to pray for a guy who was, was dumb and he'd been dumb for two months I'm like that's a bit unusual like he's 12 or 13 and 
uh, asked through a translator, what's the story? Why is this guy not speaking for two months? He's, oh, his older brother is trained to be a warlock, you know, a male witch. And he cursed, he sort of sold his soul so that he could advance in And since that day, he hasn't spoken since. Can you pray for him? What would your response be? How would you go about it? We just, there's a group of us, and you do do this stuff in groups. We just reasoned, well, he's been cursed. And I I checked with the mother if he'd been a believer, and he'd he'd given his life. And so I thought, well, this is is a child of God. He can't be cursed by this thing. Let's break it. So we just prayed, and we broke in the name of Jesus. It's a curse. And he just hadn't used his voice box for two months. And he just started making sounds, and his mother was crying, the village was crying, and everyone was, was amazed that Jesus had broken through. Because when you're in a culture where the witchcraft is very real, and the sangomas and stuff, you can get a bit fearful sometimes, and you forget actually that Jesus is on the winning side. So we just came in naively, just knowing Jesus is on the winning side, and everyone was crying, and he, he, there he was, he's speaking again. That's sort of the culture that Jesus was in back in his day. Now, what happened is this, this family, this Syrophoenician woman, they've probably been dabbling in the spiritual realm. You don't get demons just by chance, do you? We don't know what's happened, but there's probably some crossfire, and the, the kids sort of got caught in that. She's probably gone to the traditional healers of her day. She's a desperate woman. You don't travel outside of your hometown to go to the, the traveling rabbi, knowing you're going to get rejected probably, if you haven't already gone to your local guys. There's, there's nothing in the story. We can't, we're just speculating. But I'm assuming she's done some sort of due diligence and tried She's probably spent lots of money on this. You know, the woman with, who had the issue of blood for 12 years, she spent all her money on doctors. So what they do they, in spiritual stuff, they try and grab all your money. Now, you have to ask yourself, what, where is Syrah Phoenicia? You know, because it's Syrian Phoenicia. Now, Syri- the Phoenicians were seafaring people. All you need to know about them is their major cities was Tyre and Sidon, as it said in the passage, and they're mentioned all the way through the Bible, but they're basically Canaanites. So she was a Canaanite, worshipping Canaanite gods, and she was a Gentile in Jewish eyes. We've got a map there. Of the, to the right is Syria, and up there on the top is Phoenicia. She was a Syrian, Syro-Phoenician lady, and, um, and that's who she was. But, you know, as Jesus said in Matthew 12, house divided against itself doesn't stand. Satan doesn't cast out Satan. So he's not going to, if, you, if she's going to traditional healers of her time, they're not going to cast out this demon, because why would they? Well, certainly Satan wouldn't want that. So she's desperate. She heard that Jesus, the Jewish miracle worker, was in town. She fell before him, begging for his help. She ran to his house, even though he's hiding. She, she found a way to get in. I don't know how. And she just needed something sorted. But there are some parallels today, isn't there? Have you come across people that just they approach Jesus for the issue and it's just like a bit of a beg or a bargain? You know, if you just bless my business, I'll commit going to church for the rest of the year. Heard people pray those prayers? If you just get me out of this mess, then I'll promise I'll follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. If you save my marriage, then I'll start tithing, I'll go to church, and I'll join a small group. If you, if, I get, if you get me wealthy, Jesus, do this deal. I'll be very generous to the poor. But let's do the, you get the wealth first, then I'll start showing the, if you just let me date this guy outside of Christianity, I promise I'll get him to church and we'll try and convert him, you know. You heard the whole flirt to convert method, you know. It's tricky. But this isn't how Jesus works, is it? He's not, our, he's not the cosmic slot machine. You, you put in your, your, your stuff and you get your stuff out. This is a transactional arrangement. She's just saying, Jesus, please 
fix my daughter. She wasn't interested in learning about how to worship Yahweh. She didn't come and just sort of said, I want to follow the Jewish religion. I want to change. I want to. She just needs, has a need. She's like, I've got a need. You seem to be a guy who can solve my need. You're going to get, we're going to get people like that. And it's okay because Jesus doesn't mind that. But he pushes back sometimes. He'll probe them a bit. And that's okay. How did he push back on this woman? Well, look at verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In effect, Jesus is saying, look, why have you come to me to help? I'm here ministering to these Jews. This is what they've waited thousands or hundreds of years for the Messiah to come. And I'm here. He doesn't say that to her. But you know, that we're reading this, knowing this. You know, he's been sent on a mission, a very specific thing. He said, I must first go to the house of Israel. And, and then it's opened up to the Gentiles. So here he's saying, look, I'm, I'm a Jewish rabbi. I'm a Messiah. And you're coming to me. Why are you coming to me? I, you've got your own guys. I mean, that's my translation of it all. And the woman seemingly seems to have some effect in the spiritual realm. Just hopes she can benefit. So she takes the pushback. She says, yeah, I'm, I, know, I know I'm not meant to be here. I'm not the children. I'm not, it's not my bread. I know that. I get it. But can't I have some crumbs? And it triggers Jesus' compassion on her. It's, it's quite a statement. That I, I love the statements of the, as a Gentile myself. I love when Gentiles interact with Jesus because I can relate to this. I, I love the, I, I think I preached at Parkers, didn't I, about the, the, the faith of the centurion, this Gentile guy that causes Jesus to be astonished with his faith. And here's another Gentile that, that responds really well to Jesus, better than the Pharisees have been responding. And it just seems to open up his compassion. She goes, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm undeserving. But please, can I have some anyway? Seek, seeing her humility, he grants her the request. You see, if we zoom out and see the bigger picture, it's always good to know what's going on. And right before this, Jesus has been teaching about what defiles a person. And the Pharisees have been teaching, saying, you've got to have all these special hand-washing rituals, and it's all about being pure around you so you don't get contaminated. And Jesus said, no, no, it's what's in your heart that matters. And here, he's showing that this Syrophoenician woman isn't defiling him by coming into his house. He's ministering to her, and he's changing her. All the way through the Torah, the Jews have been taught they mustn't be defiled. The unclean must be separate from the clean. The holy is separate from the holy. It's the whole book of the law, basically. And the, the Jews couldn't touch dead bodies. They'd be unclean for a, a week. Lepers had to ring bells because they were unclean. Everything was about this clean and unclean. And there's a whole thing about God showing his holiness through this, these laws. And Jesus wasn't changing that. But he was saying there's a different disposi- dis- disposition now. Yes, they are unclean, but I, I as the holy one, can make the holy un- holy again. The, the unclean, clean. The unholy, I can make holy. And there's a transition, a change, where in the past they, they separate themselves, protect themselves from getting contaminated. Now they're going into the whole world, and they're making the unholy holy. So we have to go back to our original question. If Jesus could do this for an idol worshiper, someone outside the people of God, what can he do for you? So the question is, what are you asking Jesus for? James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Most of us ask Jesus for material things or aspirational things. We want money to pay the rent or we want a better job, a better car. We want to have a spouse or have children. But it's fascinating. This woman wanted something spiritual. She wanted a daughter set free 
from evil. It's a normal thing for a parent, isn't it? It's horrific to have this. You see, it's good to ask Jesus for our needs, but have you considered what spiritual things you should ask Jesus of? Jesus seems to love to to cleanse people and set people free. All through the Gospels, he's doing it. There's the woman with a 12-year bleeding issue. She gets nowhere with doctors. Look, doctors do their stuff, but in this situation, she needed healing. She was defiled. While someone's bleeding, they can't come into the community They're on the outside, and Jesus' healing her brought her in. The, the bigger thing was that she got to be part of the people of God again. He took away her shame, took away her defilement. There's a woman caught in adultery, but by speaking to her accusers, he's able to discharge the shame of the situation. It's a very highly unfair situation because they just accused the woman, not the man. They should have got both there. But she just, she just, Jesus discharged the situation, the attention. She was about to be killed. And he just he fixed it. And he said, don't sin anymore. So he sought situations out. But then he says, okay, now you've got to do something. For, you, this is what I require of you. Now, I've purposely chosen women through this weekend because I think it's important just to show, I think there's something about a, Jesus, a man, interacting with a woman, just seeing his, his deep care and concern for, for women. It's just incredible. But it's, it's not just women that he deals with. There's the t- 10 male lepers excluded from society. He comes and he changes their lives. They no longer have to ring this bell anymore. They no longer, no longer look defigured and an outcast and a judge and saying, you've done something sinful from birth, surely, to be a leper. There's the blind Bartimaeus. I love this one. Jesus is walking on the road. He's saying, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And everyone's going, shh, shut up. The Messiah's here. Well, the, the rabbi, shh, shh. He goes, I won't shut up. Jesus, Son of, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus said, I love this guy. He, he, he goes out of his way and he says, I'm going to heal you. Blind Bartimaeus. Zacchaeus, the vertically challenged, Romanized sellout defrauded all the locals and their taxes. And he brings back honor to his house by saying, I'm going to eat with you. Why is the Jewish rabbi eating with a sellout to the Romans? And what happens is he makes the unclean clean. Do you know what, how, how he responds? He says, I'm going to, I need to repent. I need to fix everything I've cheated. I've got to pay back four times the restitution. Jesus loves to engage people and he transforms them. What about you? What can Jesus do for you tonight? I sometimes wonder if we ask too little of God and expect too, too much of ourselves. I've been a pastor for a decade or two now, and I, I know what people carry around. In a room like this, I know what's going on, just from law of averages and experience, and there's going to be people carrying shame. Jesus died to take away shame. He doesn't want you to carry it anymore. But we just often just get too busy and we don't deal with it and we just let the shame carry on for years and years. We often feel Jesus can forgive our sins, but taking away our shame, taking the, the, the pain of what somebody else did to us or the situation we found ourselves in that wasn't our fault that we feel, feel bad from. Think of the woman this morning. She felt shame. She had to go to a different well, far, far away from her town because I'm sure the women were judging her. She felt bad. She felt messed up and Jesus engaged her. Is there something from your past that brings you shame? The early psychology pioneer, Carl Jung, not a believer, but he said that shame is a soul-eating emotion. It eats up inside, it paralyzes us. We're so good at repenting of sin in our Protestant Christian West. 
But we'd never talk about getting healing from shame. Jesus paid the penalty of sin and he paid for our shame. Shame is something that's done to you, the way you feel in response to other people's sin. Or it's sometimes it's the, the dirtiness you feel from your own sin. But Jesus paid not only for that sin, but he paid to take away the shame, the, the residual thing that's left over, the feeling that's just so terrible. Have you ever felt really deeply ashamed? Jesus doesn't want that for you. What about guilt? Sometimes we repent of stuff, but the guilt remains. You ever experienced that? You've said sorry a thousand times for that thing in the past, but it just feels so guilty. Can't shake it. We keep it a secret because it's, it's too embarrassed to even talk about it. I've done a lot of praying for people one-on-one, and people just often come to me, and there's just one situation, I remember, the guy was just so ashamed by what he'd done. He just, he couldn't bear himself to even share it. I'm not going to go into, I think it's, it's not fair to go into it, but just seeing Jesus minister to someone deeply enshamed, and see Jesus transform and set him free. Jesus has no favorites. He doesn't do that for that person. You can do it for everyone if you come to him and just bring him the stuff. Is the bitterness that's just biting away at you. Are these things holding you back from doing all that Jesus called you to do? Because if a, if a Gentile idol worshiper can feel okay to come to Jesus and get this from Jesus, she's just asking for the crumbs. How much more we as the people of God, we can access the bread, not just the crumbs. Are you carrying any sense of loss or betrayal? Jesus can take those from you. He deals with our emotions as well as our situations. I've seen countless people have their negative emotions lifted from them, from Jesus ministering to them. Are you carrying anger or hatred? It's weighing you down. And often our initial response is no, because we pushed it down, we've forgotten about it. But if you spend time asking Jesus, what do I need to be set free from? He'll show you your heart. Take a moment. We're going to do communion later and just take a time just to let the Holy Spirit probe us. We're asking this morning, what Jesus is asking of you? But tonight we're saying, what is Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? What is the issue in you that you'd love to see change? You feel hopeless about or never change? Maybe you're caught in a situation that seems so difficult. I've learned over the years that nothing's difficult for Jesus. Through this passage, we see that Jesus has compassion on those who come to him. I've been in really tight situations. I've been in messes that I just made of my own making. I've said, Jesus, help me. I don't deserve to be helped. And he helps me. He can help you too. Jesus wasn't calling her a dog to insult her. He was wanting to draw out faith from her. He was pushing her back a little bit and seeing how she responded. And he was showing her that it wasn't going to be on the basis of her goodness and her faithfulness and her deservedness that Jesus was going to help her. It's purely on the fact of grace. See, in the hierarchy, she wasn't deserving of having Jesus come to her. But he's showing he'd help her anyway, because that's what he does. It's truly good news for all of us here, because Jesus, if he acts his way to an outsider, what about an insider like you and I?
We don't need to mature our way into getting the best stuff from Jesus. We don't need to attend our way on a Sunday to really become an insider in the community so that Jesus will bless us. Jesus wants to bless us. He wants us to live a life that is full and rich and good. There'll be difficulties and strains along the way because you're fighting his kingdom against darkness, but he wants you to have that life. He doesn't want you held back by stuff that's, that chains you, and he's come to set you free. I don't know. I know you all know the gospel, but do you live out how the gospel works in your heart? Do you know that Jesus is keen to cleanse you and set you free more than you are? You just come to him and ask. Like a child, he says, come. I'm learning more and more as I grow older and older in life. Actually, I need to become more and more like a child. You say, Jesus, I'm stuck. Help, please. Many have rejected Jesus because they've got offended or they thought, I'm going to fix this myself. You know, we love to make a plan in South Africa, don't we? What's it? Rassi is the, the equivalent of a border maker plan or whatever. You know, that, that's the South African way. We just fix things ourselves. But it's not the Jesus way. Jesus says, come to me. Oh, you're heavy, weary, heavy laden and wearied and I will give you rest. There's stuff, yeah, we have to do, but we first come to Jesus. Don't let pride get in the way of Jesus helping you and experiencing healing. The Syrophoenician woman could easily be offended by Jesus for what he said, but she chose to press in. I mean, there's a church in Laodicea, and Jesus says to them, I want to vomit you out. Imagine the church, to the letter, the letter of the church of Parker's community, and it's just in there, you're excited to get it, and he's like, I want to vomit you out. I mean, can you imagine how these guys read this letter? Oh, we're, hey, we're actually one of the seven churches. We're in this letter, guys. It's a prophecy from Jesus. Let's see what he says. How do they respond? Do they get offended? Do they get angry? Do they change? I hope you have a robust relationship with Jesus. You feel able to say, look, probe me, find out stuff, and, and, and challenge me on things that are wrong, in the way I live my life, the way I behave, the way I talk. Let's follow the example of the Syrophoenician lady. Let's come in desperation and in humility and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm yours. I'm ready to be changed. She's, Jesus already took the first step. You see, she came in humility, but he'd already come in humility. Philippians 2 says he came down from heaven in all his glory, and he humbled himself to be in that place where the Syrophoenician woman could find him when he's trying to find a little rest. He'd already come in humility. The reason he could kick out demons with a word is he's already authoritative over them. He's the king of glory. He made the whole universe. The whole spiritual realm know who he was. And if anyone was unsure, he defeated them at the cross just to make doubly sure that he was ruling over them. His triumph of evil enables us to triumph over evil in our lives, to be cleansed from guilt and shame. He bore the shame by hanging on a tree naked in front of all shame. The whole idea of the cross was that you're meant to shame the person and say, don't anyone ever get like this, because this is what we'll do to you if you mess up. It's meant to be a shameful thing. They often did it naked. The pictures don't show that because, you know, we we don't want to show that. We put a a loincloth over Jesus. But the Romans humiliated their criminals just out of fear and shame to say, don't ever do this. This is what happens to a man who breaks our laws. Jesus bore that so that we could be free of shame. But how many of us just carry shame around, not getting the, the gift that Jesus wants to give us? Through his example of humility, he came down to serve us. We too can be served by Jesus if we only humble ourselves before him. So what will it be tonight? 
What kind of healing or cleansing do you need from Jesus? See, it's through this very passage that Jesus declared that healing is the children's bread. Are you a child of God? It's your bread. It's for you. It's not the crumbs. It's for you, the bread. He's not offering us crumbs. He's offering us the full loaf. And the use of bread, I don't think it's accidental here. Through getting some of this bread in the form of crumbs, a woman receives deliverance and from evil from a child. It seems quite matter-of-fact. Jesus just says it will be done. Just like that. She goes home, she finds a child well. That can be the same for us. When we come to Jesus, forgiveness or cleansing or healing, it can be just done like that. We repent, we're forgiven. There's no working up to it. And behind this great cosmic transfer is this, we, we don't see the awe-inspiring cost represented by the bread. See, in Christianity, the bread symbolizes the broken body of Jesus. He defeated evil by his own defeat. He cleanses our shame by taking on this shame. He forgives our sin and gives us fresh start by bearing the penalty of sin. And his life came to an end. His body was broken. It was the bread was broken. And he offers that bread to fix the Syrophoenician and to fix you and I. We're going to take this bread tonight. But remember that what it represents. It, It represents Jesus' broken body, but it also represents his offer of healing to you. The Syrophoenician said, just give me a few crumbs. But he said, no, to the children, I offer the bread. As you take the bread tonight, you bring your request to him. I know traditionally, when we do communion, we, we just, there's one thing on our mind. We're saying sorry for our sins. We're saying, Jesus, forgive us. But actually, I want us to start back a bit further and say, what do you need from Jesus? It's not just forgiveness of sin that the bread fixes. It's cleansing it's healing. It's healing from shame. It's not just forgiveness of sins. We get very Protestant. It's forgiveness of sins. But no, it's not. It's defeat of evil. It's freedom from the grip of the enemy on our lives. Freedom. As you take the bread, just what are you asking Jesus for? And as you ask him, expect in faith for him to, to bring you freedom, to bring you cleansing. And then you can say, Thank you for your bread. Then you can say, wow, isn't it incredible that your body was broken for me to give me cleansing, to give me healing, to give me the offer of forgiveness and acceptance into your family. Take me from an outsider into being an insider. That's when we speak our gratitude. When we experience Jesus, what he's done for us. It becomes far more than just some ritual we do. It becomes a real thing that we're bringing our stuff, our mess to Jesus. And he's, he's coming and he's changing us around. He's setting us out, giving us a fresh start. We do it time and time again, but isn't that life? That's how you mature in the Christian faith. You just bring more and more of your stuff until you get more and more fixed by Jesus. And then you become mature. Did you know that journey? The sad thing is, there's often a bit of a gap. When you first become saved, you... You, you just accept Jesus' forgiveness and change. But then after that, you start to perform to fill the gap. And Jesus said, don't perform. Just let me fix you. Time and time again, I've said, I, I don't know how to fix myself. My wife, Michelle, she, she, came, she went away from faith, came back to faith, and she, she managed to, things to change. The one thing she couldn't fix, and she, couldn't, she, she was addicted to smoking, and she said, Jesus, I can't do this. And she was sitting in a church meeting and just after our little niece prayed for her, 
and said, Jesus, will you take away her need for smoking? She said she was sitting in a meeting, just the words dropped into her head. It's just stupid to smoke. And after that, she didn't, want to, didn't need to smoke again. Things that you go to psychiatrists and doctors, you go for these smoking things, you know. Jesus can do it in a moment with a word. It's the power of the one we come to. It's who we come to tonight. He can speak into your situation. And he can change things around. Now, obviously, there's work you need to do. He's not going to just, he doesn't want us to be lazy, but, but actually, let's start with coming to Jesus and then see what he says to do. For this woman, it was just go home. That's a beautiful gift. Sometimes it's just as simple as that. Go home, it's done. Other times it's, I've forgiven you now, you need to sin no more. With the woman caught in adultery. It, it changes, it's different for your situation. Jesus doesn't take away the work we need to do, but he wants to do the work first. Then he commands us as our Lord and Master what we need to do. But it's, it's a light burden. It's, it's not a heavy thing. So let's just stand together, shall we? I just want to encourage you to to invite the Holy Spirit to probe you. I want to encourage you to bring your request to Jesus. What are you asking Jesus tonight? And then we're, we're going to remember that he's given us the bread, the bread of life. We're going to drink the juice that represents his blood shed for us. Let me pray for us, then we'll do that. Father God, I'm so amazed at your goodness to me. It's just so amazed I get to be a, become, a child, become a child of you. It's the children's bread. I'm no longer an outsider. I'm an insider in your kingdom. So incredible. Thank you for everyone here. We pray that that's the case. Is there anyone here that's not an, outs, it's not an insider, not part of your kingdom? We, Jesus, will you get hold of them tonight? For, for all of us, Jesus, we want to come to you with our requests. If this Syrophoenician lady gets to have a request, surely we get our request as well. Jesus, please help us bring our request to you.